of Being Podcast. My name is Keith Welsh, and in this episode, I'm going to explain the infinite spark of being to you, uh, what it is, why it is, what it is now. So I'll be reintroducing myself to a lot of you, um, updating a lot of you as far as where I'm at with my own practice and spiritually, what if my beliefs have altered, evolved over time. That is the beauty of the spiritual path is that it is ever evolving, ever changing as we learn, as our consciousness grows and expands and includes more information, the experience becomes different. Um, and, re- and introducing myself to a lot of you, we have a lot of new listeners um, and I know that nobody goes back and listens to the episodes in order. I don't know why I thought I don't do that. I actually do do that. I'm a bit of a of a weirdo like that. If I like a podcast, I start listening. Next thing you know, I'm like, what did the first episode sound like? So um, anyway, I'm going to do that for you all today. Uh, but before we get into all that, go to theinfinitesparkofbeing.com, click the about button and read a bit about me, um, what I have to offer as far as one-on-one sessions and coaching and things like that. Uh, there's also a Patreon and donate button. Uh, there's a $1 and a $5 a month Patreon tier just out of kindness. There's also a $10 a month that gives you access to the first Wednesday of every month online gathering. Last month was meditation. This month is pranayama and spinal breathing. And that'll be happening tomorrow on August 4th. So it will have already happened by the time you hear this. This will be uploaded, I believe, on Friday. Um... And there's the shop and there's the books and things like that. I'm going to be updating a lot of that here shortly. So, the infinite spark of being. Uh, You know, there's a lot of infinite sparks. Um, It's mentioned a lot. The inspiration for the infinite spark of being for me was from the Bhagavad Gita, which has been a staple of my life since 1996. Um, And in the Gita, Krishna refers to the super soul, that thing that lives within each living creature that is God. Um, Krishna as an avatar of Vishnu, the sustaining aspect of God. Um, But in a lot of the paintings in the International Society of Krishna Consciousness versions of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, there's a little yellow spark that gets illustrated that was the inspiration for that. Um, but it was started, it was a Tumblr blog in 2010, and I believe it was 2010. I've never been able to figure out when it started, because you know those blogs are you upload a bunch of things, and you decide one day, hate the look of it, so you start over. Um, but my motivation was to uh, share, essentially. Um, I was in a very unique position where I was being exposed to a lot of very cool and interesting spiritual beliefs, paths, teachers. I was living in a place, uh, Gainesville, Florida. Um, And if you've ever heard of it or ever been there or you're there now, it is a very unique place. Um, A lot of us that have lived there agree that it is a vortex. Um, I believe all of Florida is just for the simple fact that we attract so many interesting people, the weather, and it's just, I don't know, something about it, maybe it's the proximity to the equator, I don't know, Um, but Gainesville was, you know, had the luxury of having some very wonderful teachers very early on in my journey, Um, 
my path in earnest started, you know, down here in South Florida. And then it took me to Gainesville, Florida when my first record came out so that I could tour and quote-unquote go to school. Um, But the largest congregation of Vaishnavs or Hare Krishnas is in Alachua, Florida, the town Alachua that's in Alachua County. So my motivation, you know, there, and then I met Lama Losan, who is a Lama in the Karmakagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism and runs the Karmakagyu lineage center in Gainesville, Florida. Um, And just there's other various teachers there. There's a lot of stuff going on spiritually. And I was just kind of sharing that stuff. And what's interesting is I've always um, had this compulsion to say, oh, look at this. Look what I found. It's so cool. Like, I like to share things with people, you know, and not in such a teachy finger wagging kind of way, but like, you know, isn't this awesome? Take a look at it. You know, like you hear a new record, you're like, oh, you got to hear this band. This is so crazy. You know, and sometimes your friend listens to it and they're like, I don't fucking like it. And sometimes they love it. You know, same thing with uh, spiritual practice and these books. And I definitely, um, <laughs> take a bit of a, I took a deeper dive than a lot of my friends, certainly more than my family. Um, you know, my interest was never um, to read a book about the thing. Like, I wanted to go uh, read the actual book, talk to a teacher. And like I said, I had the luxury of of that, you know, that that's been my motivation. So as the blog grew, one day I, you know, I started sharing the artwork. Those of you that have been following for a long time, all of those geometric patterns and all that stuff came out of long sessions of hemisync. Some of you are aware of that. And uh, just meditation. And it was, there's these periods in your life as a spiritual practitioner, whatever your path is, whatever it is, that if you're following in earnest and you are diving in in earnest and shutting off the, the conscious mind and the rational mind that wants to you know, use the templates that they gave you to view the world, you shut all that down and you start to have some experiences, you know, and I don't care if you're a Jehovah's Witness, a Catholic, a Buddhist, it's a Jehovah's Witness because I just passed a few with the book stand on the sidewalk, and you're going to have an experience, you know, you're going to have an experience, and that was my experience, and so a lot of those, if you have those books, you know, they'll certainly be in the new book that's coming out, um, that's what those things were. They are in some sense sigils, but to me it was a language that was being, um, that I was perceiving. I hesitate to use words like channeling or any of that because I just don't know. I don't know. I know that I had a moment with a spirit medium that knew some crazy things she should have known and brought up the name of a person that, you know, a spirit guide. But, um, yeah, so I started, like, sharing a lot of that stuff and then writing some things. Then one day somebody said, why don't you do a book? And I thought, I remember saying to them, like, well, I'm, I'm not an author. <laughs> and they were like, well... A blog is a book. It's just a long blog on paper. I was like, well, that's true. So that's how the books got started. And then eventually, obviously, did this um, podcast. 
But um, in those years, I went from being a designer, uh, focused mainly on branding and merchandising and things like that, and then um, ended up through a friend of mine, Serge. I know that Serge listens, and I know that his wife, Irina, certainly listens. Um, he asked me to come work with him in a treatment center. And so I brought all of my knowledge of the Dharma and meditation to that world and found that um, it was very helpful for a lot of people. Those of you watching on YouTube, pardon me staring off. Um, yeah, always got to check for waves. But um, you always got to know. So, um, yeah, he, uh, I like to, you know, obviously joking, I make the joke, uh, I was tricked into helping people for a living. Because the next thing I looked up and that's all it was. And um, that's very interesting because, you know, I just thought that my knowledge and my um, understanding of these things was just beneficial to me. Uh, and the Bodhisattva vow, and the, as I had taken refuge, like I, you know, it's proper, I have a Dharma name, Karma Chochi Jimpa, and I was very dedicated to Lama Losan and learning and whatnot. But I never thought of sharing it or anything like that. It was never really a thing. And I start working in that world. And so many people benefited from it. And so many people loved it. And so many people changed their lives because of it. And then one day I just remembered or noticed, or I don't know what happened, but the name that I was given by Kempo Kata Rinpoche, Rinpoche is like a, I guess like if a Lama is a teacher, Rinpoche is above that. So often they're tulkus, which means reincarnated teacher, and I believe Kempo Karen Boucher became a tulku after he dropped this body. Um, but he gave me the name Karma Chochi Jimpa, which means Dharma generosity. Dharma in Buddhism is a word that gets used for um, anything that the Buddha taught, the teaching. It most directly kind of translates into English as right living or way to live or something. In the, in the Bhagavad Gita, when Krishna says you can't do someone else's dharma, he means like you can't live someone else's rules or someone else's curriculum or someone else's whatever. You know, you have to live yours. Um, anyway, so one day I just look up and I'm in this field where I'm sharing dharma. I remember I was up visiting Lama Losan and I asked him, I said, you know, what's with these names? Like, how did we, you know, it's like, like, why did he give me that name? And he just smiled and he used to do this thing where he'd touch his head and he just goes, he just knows. So, next thing you know, I'm sharing Dharma and I'm very generous with it, it turns out. So, that was my world. You know, and I, I stayed in that world for a very long time. And then the whole time developing this, and it's just been a pattern of sharing. Um, you know, I turns out I do have a knack for explaining things and saying things a certain way, often uh, maybe a bit uh, jagged and harsher than <laughs> it always needs to be shared, but 
So that's the infinite spark of being. And it's been interesting watching my own path develop. And those of you that have been at it for a minute, you know, like I would say my path started in earnest um, in 1996. And uh, it started as someone who was very interested in the Hare Krishna movement, Vaishnavism, Krishna consciousness, whatever you call it. Um, And it led me to read the Vedas because I grew up in a Baptist church. And there were little clues I got that like this wasn't it. And I distinctly remember having this thought. Because I remember meeting this, I don't know where I was, but there's this little old lady and she was a Hindu woman. I was pretty young. And I thought, so and she's the first person I'd met that was like Indian or had a nose or anything. A little old lady with a sari and everything. And that image stayed with me for a long time. And I remember being a teenager. I was probably about 15 having this thought when I think about it. I'm about to go through some deep water. So if I slow my speech and become concerned, that's why. Um, we've, had, we've had some rain, some high tides. Um, so I just thought, like, why would someone who has been is 80 years old and been a Hindu their whole life, why would they suddenly just transition to Christianity? Because I was like, hey, have you thought about Jesus? You know, and I always thought that was very strange. Then later on in my life, I find out that they have thought about Jesus. They do consider Jesus. And then it's just us that doesn't consider everybody else's thing. Anyway, but that was the first inclination that there was anything else. You know, and through a band called, a hardcore band called Shelter. There's members from Judge and Youth of Today and some other bands. Um they were Hare Krishnas, they were Vaishnavas, they were Brahmachari, which meant that they were monks, essentially, celibate monks. And they were in this band. And it was all so exotic, and they had these chants on their records, and I was like, this is fucking crazy sounding, and so cool. And, you know, kid, you were young, and just, you know, attracted to things that were very different than what I was used to. So 1996... I read The Science of Self-Realization by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. A.C. means Acharya, which means Professor of Vedic Knowledge. Swami, which is, you know, Swami is a teacher. And then uh, Prabhupada. Uh, Prabhu means friend. Prabhupada means, Prabhupada means, like, friend of all friends. or uh, So a term of endearment, the Prabhuji, which be, would be the, you know, great friend. Showing a lot of respect. G at the end of Prabhu. Um, anyway, so I read that and I was in, I was working at Pier 1 Imports and there's this old lady, Linda, that I worked with. I'm in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. There's no reason. It wasn't like, there wasn't a, like a strong internet. It's not like we just were sharing information. She walks by and she goes, oh, what are you reading? And I tell her and she goes, oh, have you ever read the Bhagavad Gita? And I was like, What? I didn't know the Prabhupada's relationship to it, the Vaisha. I knew nothing. To me, there were two separate things, right? And then the next day, she brings me a Bhagavad Gita. I read it. I realize that his commentary, the guy that wrote this book, his commentary is in this thing. So it all kind of came together, and I was hooked. And from there, just started, I, you know, 
became very uh, chanting constantly, chanting the Maha Mantra constantly, learning it. And remember back then, I had no way to understand the pronunciation. Um, I had no, you know, it was crazy. Like I had friends that had dabbled in that world due to its relationship to the hardcore scene at the time, hardcore music, music, hardcore punk rock scene. Um, I was around at the, I'm 47, so I was there for the death rattle of punk rock. No offense to younger folks, but back in my day, <laughs> back in my day, we moshed between the songs. Um, <laughs> so, um, anyway, the, it's, I became very dedicated to that and then started learning a lot about Buddhism just because the access to the books that I had and you know, and then became interested in the occult and found the relationship between uh, the relationship with yoga and meditation have had to like Aleister Crowley, for instance, a left-hand path magician. Uh, Aleister Crowley, Churchill called him the most wicked man in the world. I don't know how wicked he was. Definitely has probably eaten more semen and human shit than the average person. And since I said that, I'm going to have to check the box that this is not for children on YouTube. So, um, but it's led me down this path. So at one point, like Krishna was the salvation. But in, in understand the bhakti yoga is devotional yoga. Bhakti means devotion. So devotional yoga coming into union with God, with truth through devotion, right? Touching your inner nature through devotion. And um, that was my path. And it makes sense. You're coming from a Christian world and then you're very devoted to God and to Jesus. The same thing. You're just swapping out names. Um, so when I found Buddhism and I started studying with Lama Losan, you know, well, finding Buddhism in earnest, you know, having like a real teacher and, and true study, um, that was um, very transformative. Because I did have like a, a teacher or a mentor, so to speak, a man named Bada Haridas. And, you know, he helps me understand at least some aspect of the Vedas, though the Upanishads and the Vedas are very deep. And to have, I've had multiple teachers over the years, and so you can't, one teacher is going to give you a very thin slice of, of what the, all that is. Um, but anyway, so my own practice has developed to where I'm understanding the importance of. Well, first of all, practice. I've just, you know, that episode before this one about practice. Sorry it was late. Um, you know, that it does for me involve a lot of things. Like I mentioned in the episode where running was part of my practice. It's part of my spiritual practice. Running, to me, is a very spiritual experience. Uh, you know, anything that can take you into what is commonly referred to as flow state, I believe is transformative and um, spiritual. I mean, being alive in and of itself is a spiritual experience. You know, um, we can do an episode on that, but to look how my relationship with my mind and my body has changed because a lot of my, my seeking was because I didn't feel at home in the world. I didn't feel at home in this human incarnation with my parents, with my peers. I never, you know, I was thinking about that this weekend, you know, I was in a training, I was doing this training thing and I'm in this room 
And I'm looking at everybody. I'm like, I wonder if everyone else feels as much of an outsider as I do. And I, so I started studying the way we all interacted with each other. It was a team building workshop training thing. And like, I found that they do. Like everyone is a little like, oh, this is happening to me. Which makes sense. And that's the ego, right? Personal importance, personal identity, and reality testing. Of course it is. That's, it's, and it's fine. Um, but my always feeling that way pushed me towards the unseen. It pushed me towards the realm of the paranormal, uh, ultra weird and spiritual and mystical, you know. And a lot of that is probably because I was an only child, so my imagination was crazy. You know, I didn't have any, you know, any siblings or anybody to play with all the time. You know, I had my little friends, but I didn't, you know, didn't have access to human connection constantly. My parents loved me, but they were not emotionally present. They weren't interacting with me a lot. They were older when they had me. And, you know, when I was at, at that, in that time, like a 40 year old having a kid was a dead person having a baby. You know, at 47, I've now I've never felt younger or better. Uh, you know, my friend Tom commented on one of my Instagram posts, my personal one, and said I was aging in reverse. I don't know if Tom listens to this, but thank you, sir. Um, but yeah, you know, back then, you know, my, my parents were, you know, doing their thing. You know, they're very hands off in a lot of ways. Um, so I did have a predisposition towards the mystical, I think, and that might have played a lot into it. And my karma as a soul taking birth through their union, uh, is why you know, they were very uh, solitary, rule-breaky, free kind of people. Um, it makes sense that I would take birth with them as my you know, shepherds or caregivers. Um, I realized I just said something very strange. Um, my girlfriend points out that sometimes I say stuff and just gloss over it. It's like, that requires an explanation. <laughs> I just indicated that my soul took birth through sex as a vibrational gateway. And I just acted like that was normal. And you all know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm going to have to do an episode on that. For now, put a pin in it. Let's Send me a DM if you want more on why sex is a vibrational gateway for a soul. <laughs> um, where else are you going to hear about this kind of shit? Um, so it makes sense that I have that predisposition. Um, so then, you know, as my spiritual path starts to unfold, I start to understand karma yoga a little more. The path of selfless service, the path of service. And it's not for everybody, but that's, I look at my life and I'm like, this is, this is it. This is, I, God, Krishna, the universe, source, whatever word gives you the least amount of cringe, has been guiding me and shepherding me into this path my whole life. I've fought against it, I've pushed against it, whatever, but, you know, now I'm finally like, okay, fucking... I heard Annie Lamont, the author, once say her favorite prayer is, okay, now what? <laughs> Which I really identify with. So it's like, okay, fine. So... 
the idea of karma yoga is coming into union with God through service, through um, service without attachment to the outcome, which I am still learning. You know, today, you know, with a client, very much attached to an outcome. Um, so, I would say that's part of it, is that now in, there's this understanding of service, and I'm trying at this point to take one of my feet out of the mystical, out of the spiritual, and put it in the material, you know, and and be maybe a little more concerned with three-dimensional reality in the material world than I have been, you know, because that kind of keeping both of my feet in the mystical and being like, I'm a soul and the rest of this is just work, you know, is fine. But at some point it can become a spiritual bypass, which allowed me a lot of times to hurt myself, hurt other people and just, you know, whatever over the years. And I think that, you know, these last, I would say maybe three years of like, getting my foot forced into the material a bit more, and especially right now, um, you know, going through the, the process I'm going through right now is like, look, like, you know, the bypass doesn't work all the time. So what I, you know, really try to do with a lot of clients is, is that I, I don't think that to just, you know, jump into that. But that's what so much of my work is right now is with other people is um, bringing the spiritual component into the therapeutic setting that I don't think gets brought in with your traditional therapist. You know, um, I know in my years in working in mental health, a therapist, you know, a client would come to me and go, my therapist said that's magical thinking. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, this is all magical thinking, dude. Like that's cognitive behavioral therapy is magical thinking. You know, cognitive behavioral therapy, for some of you who don't know, is the idea that your behavior will change the way you think. And, you know, the change the way you think will change your behavior. Uh, that's the, the reverse that they often leave out. Mainly because your therapist probably isn't doing their own work. <laughs> Not to start giving a Yelp review to all of therapy, but come on. So, you know, and if you are a therapist listening to this and you just got a little tight, I want you to send me a DM of what the last book you read was and when you read it, when the last time you updated your thinking, changed your mind, or maybe did something a little out of the box. Some of you, it's all the time. You know, somebody very close to me has a very wonderful therapist that's very much like that. And we're friends, which makes sense. Um, but that's what I try to bring into, uh, you know, I say with the infinite spark of being, I think that what I've been doing is saying, look, there is the material reason for this. Like when I mentioned the mind and neural pathways and you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, all these things, like it's because I think that when we put a foot in three dimensional reality, the, the spiritual starts to make a bit more sense. I know that as I learned and grew in that knowledge, like with the brain and the body and the mind and the psychology of things, my spiritual understanding grew leaps and bounds um, to be able to find the correlation between the two. You know, often people will go, oh, well, that's just repackage this or repackage that without opening the other package. 
I'll open both. Like they're both great. Because sometimes I'm talking to somebody and, and, and to be honest with you, the spiritual point of view doesn't always fucking make sense. Sometimes it's like, what's the fuck? So you bring the neural and the physiological into it and it's kind of, oh, okay, I see. And I think the reason, you know, the reason that the materialists have troubled the spiritual and the spiritualists have troubled the material is because there's no understanding of, um, of, of either. I think that for me, understanding the physical and the material definitely cemented my understanding and my belief in the spiritual and allowed me a, a greater depth of understanding the spiritual, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think so. Because yeah. when you read like a, a, a line out of the Gita or any spiritual text like that there is an attachment to the senses and you're led by the senses and the senses and the senses a lot of times the purport or commentary on that tends to be well it's because you're self-indulgent and you're only indulging in, in they'll say like oh it's like the seven deadly sins gluttony and, and sex and da 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 that that's the problem and that's the indulgent in the sense, okay, that is indulgent. You can overindulge in those things, but when you understand the role of the nervous system in our thinking and our and the role of the nervous system in experiencing and perceiving three-dimensional reality, then you understand that what was being said was that you, when you are led by how your nervous system is responding, then you are led by the senses. And that's not always right because the sense experience, the material world, as it's said in the literature, is an illusion. And that sounds strange to people. And when you say that, they usually come back with, well, it feels very real to me. Okay. Illusion means anything that is or is likely to be wrongly perceived by the senses. Everyone listening to this right now has felt in their body the tightness of the nervous system, the physiological shift when it comes to anxiety and sadness and anger, and then found out that they were thinking about it incorrectly, which caused that feeling, which was wrongly perceived. Perception meaning a way of regarding, understanding, and interpreting something. You may have wrongly regarded, understood, and interpreted what was happening thus creating this feeling in your body, this misunderstanding in the mind, and then had all of these quote-unquote feelings that you needed to quell, that you needed to work on, that you needed to change, when it was all for naught. You misunderstood the whole thing. Maybe it's as broad as you see the world as a fucking flaming, stinky trash fire, and so you feel this tightness about the world, you know? Or it was a misunderstanding. Like I used to say, my mom could simply say hello to me and I would tighten up so fucking quick and I'd be upset for no fucking reason. I was just, hello, like what the fuck does that mean? You know, and that's an illusion. I was experiencing illusion. Uh, a really great example of me experiencing an illusion myself is uh, I for a long time described my dad and I's relationship as very contentious. Our relationship was not contentious. It was for me. And it was not for him. All he did was love the absolute shit out of me. That man thought I was the greatest, fucking smartest motherfucker that ever walked the planet. 
but since he didn't buy into my political point of views or, or whatever the thing was, and I would start these stupid little arguments with him and my mother, that we had a contentious relationship. We didn't have a contentious relationship. I had a content, I had this experience that wasn't, it was a little, you know, and you could be, you could say, oh, well, maybe your dad was dismissive or whatever. Was he, or was I just perceiving it that way? Was he dismissive or was he just allowing me to have my own experience? That's what it means by illusion. And so what I see my work through the infinite spark of being or any other context within work in which I'm working with other people is if we can just learn how this mind works, learn how the, learn how the body works, incorporate our spiritual understanding of things, then we get a broader perspective, right? We learn to observe our mind. We learn to shape our thoughts. And then we learn to transform our reality. Observe the mind. Transform the mind. Transform your reality. It all works. You know? Um, that's all I want to do. And it's mainly because I know that it works. I have proof that it works. You know, the, the things that I've said work. And now it's just this kind of feeling of like, I don't want to say urgency. But it's like, you don't have to suffer. It's that saying pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. You don't have to suffer. You're going to get hurt. Pain will happen. Discomfort will happen. But the suffering doesn't have to continue. You know, I think about it, you know, when you think about running as a spiritual practice, right? Um, I'm a barefoot runner. I run barefoot. And I don't run barefoot on the beach. I mean, I have, but I run barefoot on road. Cement, asphalt, whatever. Run barefoot. I wouldn't recommend it all the time. Um, Maybe take a walk barefoot, but, you know, I have Florida feet, so I can do that. Um, but what I've noticed, one of the little philosophical ditties I've realized through running barefoot, it's not what you step on. It's what sticks that hurts. You're going to step on things like, ooh, ah. You know, there's a little sound I make when I step on something really sharp, and I just keep running. Don't break stride, don't break form, keep going. If it didn't stick in your foot, it doesn't matter. It hurts and it'll stop hurting. Don't change what you're doing. If I change my stride or I change my gait simply because I stepped on something that was painful, then I'll throw something else off. I could hurt my back, I could hurt my knee. So I'm just gonna keep going. If something does get stuck in my foot, then I have to stop and I'll pull it out and then I'll run. I've got plenty of things stuck in my feet before. I'm actually driving on Palm Beach Island uh, right now, and once I was running on Palm Beach, and I was running through some leaves, I heard some sounds, I looked down and realized I was running through a broken mirror. <laughs> and I thought, well, Welsh, you finally screwed the pooch on this one, that's going to be a, I was looking back looking for a trail of blood, but I was fine. Um, yeah, it's not what hurts, it's what sticks. You going to let it stick? But I see it as a spiritual practice because 
if I can make myself run when I don't want to run and I can be present to the activity of running when my legs feel heavy, when my body feels tired, when my mind feels exhausted, can I just run? Can you just keep going even though you're uncomfortable? You know? It's like with, you know, with yoga, hatha yoga. You know, um, it's to me, that's something I, I want to do more of it. I struggle with it. I fight with my body the whole time, you know, and I have to constantly keep coming back to my breath and breathing and relaxing each muscle. Can I just sit here in this shit right now and just hurt? Can I do it? And as you start to do it and as you start to open up to it, it's like you just breathe into these muscles it actually gets easier. The pain and this and the difficulty happen while you're fighting it. You know? People sit in meditation, they struggle with the mind and they try to push it down and stop. It's like just shut up, breathe. Just breathe. Let the mind do what the mind's gonna do, it'll be fine. You know. So the karma yoga path, that's my path. The path of service, no matter what, just keep helping. Just be helpful, you know, and I would say that is the purpose of the infinite spark of being. That's the purpose of that about button, you know. Here's me, and how can I help you? Let me help you. Help me help you. Have we all not thought that every single time somebody said that? Um, anyway, that's so. My name is Keith Welsh. This is the infinite spark of being, and this is my way of sharing and, you know, guiding and uh, coaching some of you. Uh, but, you know, take a look at that, um, that one sheet. And there's a method there. Uh, thought transformation and restructuring is something that I developed over my time in the mental health field with my knowledge of the Dharma and then bring it into a clinical setting and understanding how to actually move trauma around the brain. You know, it turns out your therapist's college professor didn't invent that. <laughs> it's all, it all comes from the Vedas. It all comes from, from those old traditions. Um, so go to theinfinitesparkofbean.com, click about, read about it. If you want to book some time with me, just shoot me an email. Um, go to the Patreon if you want to be part of the $10 a month tier where we sit down every win- the first Wednesday of every month at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's a Google Meet. Um, what else? Oh, t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies. I'm going to be updating the store shortly. I'm working on some new stuff. And the books. Book three, I'm going through and tweaking a few things right now. That's what's interesting is, is you evolve spiritually and you have the nerve to write it all down. <laughs> you know, if it sits, lo- sits too long, you look at it again, you're like, ah, I'd say this a little differently or oh, I'd like to add this. So I'm going to go through it again, make some tweaks, get it out there. And if I've got something to add, book four is on its way. So, I love you. You know, a long time ago, you reminded me 
you helped me and now I'm going to remind you and I'm going to help you. So I love you and I'll talk to you later.